Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shergill. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, and welcome back. Today, we have a very special guest. Today, we're going to be introducing Miss McKenzie. Miss McKenzie is a trauma-informed international BDSM and intimacy educator, certified hypnosis, kink lifestyle, and professional dominatrix coach, content creator, and writer. She has been involved in the kink lifestyle professionally and personally for over 20 years. She teaches a full range of subjects, including, but not limited to, energy play, tantra, bondage, intimacy, power exchange, reveling in pleasure, hypnosis, sexuality, and the art of sadism. So let's welcome Miss McKenzie. So welcome to the show, Miss McKenzie. How are you doing today? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm very, very thankful to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'm very <laughs> excited to have you here. And today we're going to be talking about dominatrix and a little bit about trauma-informed BDSM. So we should just get right into it because I'm excited about these topics. So I just wanted to start with a little bit of like your background within dominatrix and I guess how you more or less got into this or why you are in this and what it brings for you. Okay. Um, so, uh, long story short, <laughs> I got in very young. I was, um, actually underage when I got involved. I being a dominatrix, uh, did not like, it came natural to me in the fact that I would feel like I was always dominant in my life, but, um, I didn't necessarily know that that's what it meant. I thought it was just being a leader. <laughs> so what and is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, so what is a dominatrix then? Um, a dominatrix is typically a female identifying person um, who takes a dominant role in BDSM and typically does it for tribute or monetary donations, things like that. And they, you know, engage in people's desires and fantasies. Wow. So what would you, what type of qualities was it take to be someone like this? That's a really good question. I think there's lots of things. If you decide to get into this, I think it's a pretty involved kind of question because, you know, I teach new pro doms for months and months and months for them to feel like confident in their skills enough to do this business. I can say that it takes patience and consistency and dedication to learning like the business and like the craft behind BDSM. Mm -hmm. um, and like the, the desire to make people feel comfortable. I think it takes a special person to make people feel like comfortable enough to share these vulnerabilities and desires that they have that they can't even usually share with their partners. That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah. So for dominatrix, is it typically, I guess, is, do you work more or less with individuals or would it be couples or? I work with both? all of the above. Um, I've worked with also like, you know, alternative lifestyle individuals, people who have like poly dynamics. So it's not necessarily always couples. Like I've worked with like multiple people at once and things like that. And then also like singles, it really depends. Yeah. All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. So 
when you for so for someone who's just getting into this, is there some like common do's and don'ts that they should stay away from or things yeah, that I actually wrote them down because I feel like they're so important. I didn't want to miss any. Yeah. Um <laughs> even better. So there's obviously like tons more, you know, but I'm gonna give some in the time frame of what we have. Yeah some do. So be realistic about your skills and offerings. I've seen many people like say, well, you know, I've been doing this for years or this and that. I think it's much more important to be honest about your skills and what you have to offer so that you're not harming anyone. You know, you've already learned that you feel confident enough in those skills. Some do's are like, be better with communication skills, because sometimes in this business, especially like domination type stuff, people lose their voice. Um, they go into subspace, they go into a headspace, whatever you want to call it, that sometimes they don't have a voice. So learning how to read body language is really important. Facial expressions, noises, things like that, that you don't typically notice or focus on. in I guess everyday vanilla life. Mm-hmm. So those really um, like micro, micro things to be absolutely like learning, um, you know, a lot of stuff that they teach in like therapy, you know, schools and stuff like that about like learning how to pay attention to people's uh, reactions and things like that, I think are really important. And like the other thing I think is like owning your mistakes and taking responsibility like immediately. So like, you know, we inherently do very unsafe things. We try our hardest to make things as safe as possible, but it's always a chance that something can happen. And instead of blaming the person, like taking responsibility for what you've done in it, I think is extremely important. Definitely things to think of. (laughs) So what would be common mistakes with that? So like common things. So, so I had some like don'ts in here. Like I had like, don't let the client control the negotiation. I think that that's really important because you know, you have to take control right from the beginning. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't have a say in the negotiation. Cause I feel like that's really important, but like making sure to set up that power and balance that we're looking to create, like right up from the beginning. Um, don't ignore someone's safe words or hard limits. I hate that. I have to say that, but I do mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. never renegotiate a scene. Once it started, I'm really big on that. I talk about that in all my classes. Um, because the bottom is in space, they are intoxicated. And if they're intoxicated, they cannot consent to going further or consent to more things you want to do to them at that point. Um, And I've known a lot of people once people are in subspace to add new things in. And for me, that's, you know, a consent violation at the very least, and maybe something more depending on what you've done. Mm -hmm. Um, So some, I guess, common mistakes to avoid are in this business are putting your eggs all in one basket. Like if a client promises you the world, like don't put everything into that client. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things change, right? Maybe they got in a relationship. Maybe they don't have the same financial situation that they had. Maybe they decided to go with someone else. Things like that. Assuming you're going to make a fortune just starting out um, is definitely a common mistake. I feel like people think it's not as easy money as they assume it is. <laughs> No. And I think, I think people fail to realize that it's still a business. It's still something I have to get up and like really work for and promote yourself for as well and put yourself out there. And putting money in to make money. 
people mm. don't realize that. Like, you know, the, the toys, the implements we use, the, the outfits we buy, you know, all of these things that cost a fortune that, that, you know, hopefully you'll get money back in return after mm. that, but like making sure you have that, you know, nobody, my thought is I've never had a same scene twice. So for me, that looks like having multiple implements, having other skill set, things like that, so that things don't become monotonous and boring. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely another thing. Um, taking on too many clients and not pacing yourself because you'll burn out a lot quicker. I've definitely seen that with people starting out. They take on as many clients as that as that will come in. <laughs> Do you, is a common mistake to this, uh, not taking enough breaks almost in between clients or definitely like a thing like, Oh, I want to do it all. So yes, I have these skills. I have this money coming in. I want to do it all. And the thing is like, you know, a lot of this stuff, especially myself and the work that I do, like it takes a lot out of you and you need self-care after that. And like, things to take care of your own self to be able to be okay for afterwards, because sometimes we take on the stuff of clients, just like therapists do, Mm -hmm. except therapists don't really have, um, like transference. Right. But I have transference because I touch my clients, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is this even more extreme connection that you have with clients to make sure that you are, you know, calming yourself afterwards, that you have rituals to self-soothe, things like that, especially if you're working with trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, You asked me for red flags and I wasn't sure if you meant for clients. (laughs) Or either way, like, is there some like red, like if a new dominatrix were to come in and just guns blazing, comes walking in, like what would be some red flags with people that jump the gun too fast and like just full steam into it. But I guess you mentioned some of them about rushing in, taking on too, too many clients. Yeah. I like, I was thinking more about like, like I think new dominatrixes don't understand the red flags they should be looking out for with clients and what that looks like. Cause that's scary. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would love to hear some of those. Um, so I, I, some red flags. So first off, like a giant, they give a giant, long in-depth fantasy emails back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, without sending any kind of tribute. Like I say, they're basically looking for free jerk off material. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, I feel um, like that's part of your business too. It's, it's like creativeness that you're giving in and still your time. Absolutely. That you have to reply back. I, I, I have no problem like answering questions and going a few emails back and forth and divulging in their fantasy. Like that's part of my job. I get mm-hmm. that. But like, if that's what you're looking for and you really are just kind of using a pro dom for that because they're good at that. Mm-hmm. My thought is like, that's definitely a red flag. Like they're not, they're not actually looking to pay. They're looking for free material. Uh, pushy, like I've had pushy clients or people that question my limits or boundaries. Like that's definitely a red flag in general, but definitely in this business for sure. Um, refusing to share any screening information that's required, you know, oh. like to keep us safe. <laughs> that should be in general, but certainly for this business. Um, someone who says they have no limits or do whatever to me, I don't care. Cause that tells me they either have zero experience whatsoever, or they're like a danger to themselves. And I should be cautious playing with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
definitely some red flags that I can think of. I'm sure there's more, but. That's interesting about the comment about no limits. Cause I feel like if you were just getting into it, somebody might be like, yeah, I guess I can do what I want. Absolutely. But it's just, it causes a problem because there's actually no boundaries to do anything in. Absolutely. It happens more often than you think. They'll be like, I don't have any boundaries. And then that's when I say something ridiculous, like, okay, so I can, you know, so I can put like a stuffed animal up your butt. Like, I'll just like say something so random that they're like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, okay, so then you have limits. Well, that's (laughs) a good thing about consent too, because it's one of those differences between like implied consent and then taking accountability. Like you weren't so specific on what I could and could not do. Exactly. Yeah. I'll give like specific instances. I'll be like, oh, so I can do this. Oh, so I can do that. And they'll go, no, no. I'm like, okay, then you need to write these down as your start limits. <laughs> yeah. Are, so are there questions that you ask before, like kind of like a template interview that you do with someone just um, to get these? I think it really depends on like what their interests are. A lot, I'd say 80 to 85% of my sessions in general have an element of hypnosis to them because that's one of my specialties. So if it's like that, then I go even more in depth because I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Obviously when someone, or maybe you may not know this, but when someone's in trance, it's a lot harder to get consent from them. Mm -hmm. So making sure I'm going over and beyond prior in negotiations to make sure that I know exactly what they need and that there's no coercion or anything because that can certainly happen when it comes to hypnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And so for the safety of that, I guess like there's like a safety form too that people fill out just in case something bad, like yes. something goes wrong in case a mistake happens, I guess. So I usually ask things like, I'll say like, you know, what does it look like? Like a couple questions, I guess, like for an instance, if something went wrong. So say for instance, you get triggered. What would you like me to do if you get mentally triggered? Because that's a thing that happens in BDSM, in lifestyle, professionally, whatever, because we're people and we're human and we have past traumas, most people. So it's certainly a thing to talk about and what that looks like. You know, my thought is, um, it, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, because then you are totally prepared. I know for me, like I always have like a safety bag in place just in case, like I, you know, by accident, open someone up or, you know, an ice pack in case someone has a panic attack, I take an ice pack and I crack it and I rub it up and down the vagus nerve here to calm people down. It resets your nervous system to help when someone is having like a panic attack during play. So like different things like that and making sure that I talk about that and they're comfortable with that or like, you know, if they're triggered or if something bad happens, like, does that mean we move to a different space? Does that mean the scene pauses? Does that mean you want it to completely end? Like, you know, talking about those things and making sure we're on the same page so that I'm not panicking because then in turn is going to make that person panic even further. Yeah. So I guess the quality you need to have is just stability and the ability to stay calm under these pressures. Absolutely. Um, In my earlier years as a dominatrix, I watched, well, someone um, was in a session with somebody and I wasn't in the session and I heard her scream for help. And so I went in there, obviously, because I thought something serious was happening and there was just blood everywhere from this person and I took care of it. So she was freaking out, which in turn made the bottom freak out even further. And I was like, honey, it's okay. Why don't you step out? I was like, let's do this. It's okay. Let's calm it down. And like, 
it was so much better when that happened just from that like calmness. I feel like, you know, the person was probably in deep subspace and, you know, was feeling all these things and then panicked because the top panicked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've seen some things that if, it, if someone could only be like calm in circumstances can mean so much better, like so much better, uh, like, you know, the ending can be so much better and easier on the bottom. <laughs> but even the safety of it, because I think that would be just like one, it sounds like a little bit of a traumatic experience for everybody involved. Just like, ah, everybody's like screwing around. That does not play well. She was like, help, help. I'm like, oh my God, please don't do that again. Yeah. Oh my please goodness. <laughs> so is there any like misconceptions about that you've specifically had to deal with or that you see yes. people happen about this business? For sure. Um, that we have sex with our clients. I am not sexual at all with my clients. I'm very adamant about that. They, they are not allowed to touch me. Um, I, you know, when there is touch involved with them, for me, it's not like a sexual component. It's something to either bring pain. It's something to maybe put them in a position, things like that. But that's certainly like, we're just full sex workers. And mm -hmm. not that I have anything against that. I have tons of friends in that realm. My partner does full sex work. Um, just not a typical dominatrix thing for them to have sex with their clients. Um, that we always make a ton of money. Not always true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that we hate men and that we're all bitches. <laughs> That's really? Yeah, constantly. And it's so funny because like the events that I've taught at, they're like, we'll never have a pro dom teach here. And then they talk to me and they, they like my classes and they're like, oh my God, you're nothing like what I expected. I was like, see, you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. I... I feel like that's shocking. Like, I guess, like, I don't know. I don't know why I find that that shocking, but I guess so. <laughs> Not that there isn't mean girls in this business, right? There's mean people everywhere and they're going to mm. happen. And there are man haters, you know, but I think there's man haters in life. So there's going to be in any business. <laughs> that's very true. Very true. And that, that it, with BDSM, all we provide is pain, you know, like the stereotypical mm. whips and chains. Like I do a lot of, um, like transcendental work and, and just transformations and things like that, that really have nothing to do with pain. Well, that's the thing. It's sexual healing is more like you can experience pain through this, but even in some of the line work that I've done, yeah, it's very much arguing that you can structure any type of feeling, any type of event. It doesn't always have to be this very extreme painful thing. Sometimes Absolutely. it can be very soft actually. Yep. I can't tell you the amount of um, clients and play partners that I've had. I call them sensation sluts. So they're people who don't actually don't like pain. They just want all of the sensations. <laughs> Give them all of them. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> so I love that. And I don't think it has to be like, I've, I've seen people that are like, well, I've seen you play super hard. You know, I've seen you be like really mean. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what they wanted. Those people that I was playing with that you saw, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean I can't play to all different levels. Oh, and the other, the other one I was thinking of is that we all come from broken homes or we're damaged because we're sex workers, like that typical thought process. That's a big one that really needs to go away. Cause I do feel that I, personally, I feel like that mindset about sex, like the BDSM in general, I do feel mm -hmm. like it's just to turn people away from it, but it can be super empowering. It is very empowering. It is very everything. It is very healing, um, mentally, 
emotionally, sexually, physically, even spiritually with the work that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So what can be like, what can be being a dominatrix bring to someone in those aspects? So I think it's a, it's like another loaded question because it really depends on the services that someone provides, mm-hmm. you know, they're providers that incorporate spiritual and metaphysical um, practices into their sessions, such as like somatic practices or crystal work or candle magic or any one of these things that you can add into your, you know, BDSM work. I'd say it can be healing as a whole for folks who have never really like had a chance to voice their interests or their desires or their possible like darker side of themselves that they hide on a daily basis. Um, It can be like incredibly liberating for someone to talk about these topics, let alone explore like hands-on experience with these things. And then also like, I think BDSM in itself, when done consensually and safe as possible can really help someone get back in their body, Mm. Um, especially after suffering trauma or maybe just someone who's neurodivergent. Um, The Venn diagram between like neurodivergent people and kinkiness and role-playing is like so wild and crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it allows us to get in touch with our bodies and emotions as it can like, you know, be a very incredibly connective experience, especially due to like the deep bonds of trust that we have and we have to engage in and a lot of the activities that we do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's necessary. Like, I really think it is what someone provides because there's all different things. And some people are much more spiritual practitioners than others. So it really depends. Um, If you're looking for like a transformative experience, like as a client, like do your research. Cause there are tons of providers that do do that and want that kind of work. So now yeah. with the dominatrix, is it one of those things like where there it's a separate character that you've created? Like, do you maybe like, I'm not saying that everyone does this, but do generally <laughs> people create like a separate character that they themselves get into before they go into a play? I think everybody's different. I'm myself all the time. (laughs) Like I try, what I say to my clients when I'm doing negotiation, when I talk to them in email is say like, I'm going to be authentic. Like you're, you're not going to get this like bitchy demanding, you know, person that's like cursing at you. That's just not me for me. I'm more caring. So if, if you're looking for like humiliation or something like that, like I'm more playful and teasing rather than like mean. So like, I'll say that to clients, like, this is how I am. And like, I hope, you know, so that they can understand my thought process in it. If they're looking for someone mean or angry, like that's probably not me unless they want me acting. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had (laughs) someone come to you and say, can you just be meaner already? (laughs) So I've had people ask for like, they want mean and bitchy and demanding and things like that. They'll say it prior. And I'll say that isn't my typical, I can be that way. That isn't my typical, Um, I tend to be, try and be more authentic. Um, cause since I'm a lifestyle, you know, mistress too, that's what I do almost all the time. So it's very natural for me in that way. Um, and I like the healing work of BDSM. Like I don't want to damage somebody or hurt somebody mm-hmm. mentally or physically. Like I want to, it, for it to be empowering and change, change them in some capacity and make them better for having the time with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you ever so, had to turn down clients? Like, I'm yes. sure. Yes. Does that happen more often than people think? 
it really depends on your limits. So for instance, I get, I guess, cause I'm a tall blonde, I get things like, can you play like a Nazi soldier? No, thank you. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. Like, or because I'm a tall blonde, like, oh, you know, oh, can you make fun of my religion as a Muslim? Can you make fun of, like, hmm. I just, that's not me. That to me that I, I, so I've done it once in my entire career. Somebody was trying, it was, it was very trauma-based and they were working on their race and trying to, I guess, have some kind of different reaction and help overcome things from the past, from their race. And I said, I typically don't do this. And they're like, it would really be like healing for me and all this stuff. And I had this session and afterwards I cried for like hours on my partner. Like I needed the most amount of aftercare. I was not in a good place. And so I said, I would never, ever do that again. It didn't make me feel good. It might've helped them temporarily or even for good. I don't know. But for me, it was like, it, it like, I felt like I moved my values and morals to do that session. Mm. Well, that, yeah, well, that would definitely be a risk of like allowing someone kind of what you said before about not allowing a client to control the conversation. So mm -hmm. to really know what your boundaries are before you get into this, I guess. Absolutely. Your limits and boundaries and know them like to a T of what they look like. And, you know, they may change over time. You may find new ones like, oh, I did the session and it did not work well for me. I did not feel comfortable with that. Like, cause I didn't know that that was, I was like, I could just have this session. Why not? Like mm. they want this, they're paying for this. They clearly need it. I, I had trauma talks with them about what that looks like. And then you know, I realized it wasn't for me. And I was, I felt terrible about myself afterwards. Well, that's, but I didn't know, like, I, I, I obviously I'm not, I'm, I'm someone who accepts everyone. I feel like I'm, I try and be as inclusive as possible, but like, I didn't know that doing that would affect me as much as it did. Absolutely. That's incredibly valid. Uh, I think that can go both ways, even for a client as well to say that they think it's okay. And then they, they're in the middle of it and then they realize they don't want to do it or they're like, ah, Absolutely. this isn't my. Absolutely. I mean, half my family is Jewish and half my family is German and getting the German requests of like Nazi stuff is just like so harsh and so intense. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in that. And they're like, why? We'll pay you extra. And I'm like, no, thank you. Do people like, is that common? You get that. Um, I don't know if it's common for most people. I but just think, I think it's my looks that, that drag those kind of thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say it's common for everyone. I've received it more often than I'd like to. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Actually. I find that interesting. Um, so what additional risks would there be, I guess, for both the client and for yourself or anyone taking on this role and how would you try to mitigate them? Hmm. Okay. So getting outed is a big thing. That's why we have different names for this business. That's why we're, you know, you know, we try our hardest to protect anonymity, things like that. But being outed is certainly a possibility. And that could be to your family. That could be to your job. Any one of those things is certainly a possibility. Losing bank accounts, especially now with everything with censorship and everything going on, that's a possibility. You're doing sex work. Even though it's legal sex work, you're still doing sex work. And what do you mean by losing bank accounts? Like somebody 
Takes down your bank account or? Yep. If, um, you know, finding out what you do for a living or whatever, and the bank isn't okay with it, Visa, MasterCard, all those kind of things, it's certainly a possibility. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Or like, or your cash app or your Venmo or your PayPal or any one of these things of how we get deposits and things like that. People pay from those sites. It's certainly a possibility. Getting attacked by a client, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know these people. We don't really know these people, right? It's it's certainly a possibility in any area, but then you're doing this work and sometimes we're seen as less than by society. So that's, that's scary, you know, mm-hmm. um, censorship everywhere. I just got my Instagram deleted. I had almost 20,000 followers. I never posted anything sexual of myself. It was only educational content and got my stuff shut down. I feel for anybody who tries to spread sexual awareness on that level. Cause I feel like it, you get so well, you start to find your followers, like you build something up for yourself and then just in a blink of an eye. And sometimes I, you're, when I hear stories like yours and just in general, I feel like sometimes it's like they wait <laughs> for you to get those amount of followers and they're like, okay, let's shut her down now. Like it's ridiculous. It, felt, it certainly felt like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So can you, is that something that you can fight for or is it just the content itself? Like they're just like, no. Um, the thing is there's no actual like, there's a set rule of like no solicitation and things like that. But like, there's no like set rules about what you can and can't say and the words you can and can't say. So that makes it so difficult too, because I feel like I'm beyond cautious on my social media, like beyond cautious and it still happens. So my, you know, what I used to tell people is like, make sure that you're, you know, blocking out like sexual words, like specifically the word sex. Like I put like a asterisk for my E, like just as an example, Or like I say the word vagina, like I put like an asterisk where the A is. So like, I'm not actually saying the word vagina, like things like that. It's just like, but I got shut down anyway. So I don't even know if that even mattered. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even with mine, with BDSM, I'll put like B dot, D dot, D D dot, dot, dot. So many dots. There's so many dots. You have to be the most creative. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So when it comes to clients, like what would you do to, like what risks or I guess safety precautions do you take prior to any session that you have? Um, okay. So obviously I'm a proton mentor. So I do this often with people and I'll go through the whole entire like screening protocols of what you should do, but I can give a couple. So Mm -hmm. like getting IDs, so getting copies of IDs and maybe their employment information. The other thing is signing up for a background check company. Like I pay for one every month so that I can look up my clients and not that like, it's going to have everything on there, but if they have like uh, a physical past, of like violence, it's going to have it on there. If they have restraining orders on them, it's going to be on there. Like stuff like that, that you should be aware of Mm -hmm. is my thought. Be cautious of who you talk to about your job, because if you don't want to be outed, that's like a way to help mitigate that risk is being cautious of who you're telling what you do. Uh, The other thing is like having sex worker friends. So you feel less lonely because like I said, this business can make it where we're like less than. So having other people around you that do that same work and you can talk with them about, you know, all of the struggles that we face can be important. 
Absolutely. And I think that's with any work. Like there's obviously there's some stresses or annoyances that even I'm sure clients give you that you need to put this somewhere so it doesn't stay on you or in you, like in your, in your nervous system. And also like the community to share these things. So like, you know, we've had dangerous people in this community and things that have happened and we share it all with each other. That's the only way we stay safe, right? We can't, it's, we're not going to, you know, it's not a thing to go to the police. So it's like, we have to self-police ourselves. And so having things like, you know, blacklists and stuff like that for people who are dangerous or time wasters, like is important. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know anyone in this business, you're not going to get on these lists or know who's on these lists. That's a very valid point. So it's almost like you should go find some friends first and then go into it. So you don't run into somebody who might be on that black list or it's, it's, It's not as big as you would think, but it's still there and it's important to be aware of those things. But yeah, I I think that, but I do know a lot of people who are like independent sex workers who don't have a lot of friends and they feel really lonely in this and dating's difficult because, you know, a lot of people aren't secure enough to date a sex worker. So then there's even struggle with that. Yeah, that might, that must be difficult because I go to even just a dance class for pole dancing and just even dancing on a pole, even if you're not at a nightclub can be somewhat difficult to date with that news. Taboo. Yes, for sure. So, which is unfortunate because it's more fun, but anyways, (laughs) yeah. So you're also a trauma informed BDSM educator. And I was definitely, so what does that entail? Like how did, how did that all come to be? You're an international, international one. I want to stress (laughs) that. That's cool. So I told you I started out as a pro dom um, when I was underage and then continued from there. And as well, I went to school to be a teacher. That's originally what I went to school for was to be a music teacher. And I was outed through the school, actually. That's why I stopped working in the vanilla world. (laughs) I was like, you know what? I'm outed. Fine. I'm going to do a job that involves that. Nobody can out me. (laughs) Everybody knows what I do. (laughs) My whole family knows what I do. It was kind of like a, a push to go, okay, I'm fully kinky and everyone's going to know I'm fully kinky. (laughs) Like a happy accident. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I took about 200 hours versus like psychology classes, trauma focused classes, things like that. I didn't know that I was going to be in this business, but I was very fascinated with that. And then I had a partner that was a sex therapist. So like kind of moved me in that direction of, you know, involving myself into more of that and then realized, okay, I want to do this as a job. So I want to take more classes. So that's when I took, I got my cert to be a hypnotist. Like I did a lot of those kind of things to learn more about like the therapy practices and somatic kind of work surrounding what we do and Mm -hmm. how to involve that. Cause a lot of it's not like sex based, like the, you know, trauma and therapy and stuff like that is very not sex based. So I kind of wanted to like join them together and see how to do that and do it in a way where people felt comfortable enough. I think people are people who have trauma specifically look in this direction of BDSM because it's a way to be intimate that doesn't necessarily have to involve their genitals, right? There's so many other things to do and so many experiences that they can have in BDSM that aren't related to maybe their body or, or what happened to them, things like that, or 
doing shadow work. Um, I do a lot of shadow work sometimes, which is, you know, playing with the darker side. So think traumas that people have had and re what's the term, like doing the, the same sort of like the same things that happen in their trauma for them to have mastery over the ending. Mm -hmm. So whether they are the victor at the end, whether they can say no at the end, whether they just enjoy it, they didn't Mm -hmm. enjoy it when it wasn't happening then to them consensually, but maybe like taking in that they can find power in the enjoyment of that happening. You know, a lot of that is super powerful. Absolutely. I know I'm going a little off topic. No, no, just, no, you're not. I actually love this. It's a huge passion of mine. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually love it. I, um, I do think that to your point before about uh, therapy, not mentioning sex, I do find that is incredibly difficult because if you don't look at sex through therapy, you can't actually help somebody because it's not a complete and whole, like you can't look at this person in a complete picture because our sexuality is so connected to everything so we should be able to talk about it especially in therapy so that's why i love bdsm and kink because you can strip that off and you do talk about it right at the heart and the core of it yeah for sure like do you find that people struggle like you're also an intimacy coach so do you find that what's do you find that people struggle with intimacy on like a few things or is there a common thing that people struggle with regarding intimacy I would say the the two biggest issues with intimacy with couples is communication for sure. And that's in the bedroom and outside the bedroom. The the couples that I, I have tons of couples that I work with on a regular basis. And it's so funny because like the, I see them sort of like have this miscommunication that I can see both sides of why it happened. And all I have to do is like, well, this person means this. And this person means this will go, Oh, it's like their wires got crossed a different way or something like that. Mm -hmm. And all they needed was for someone to like point that out to them. Oh, okay. You are showing love. You're just not showing love maybe in the way that I thought you know, that should be or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that a lot. And then the other thing is like that I see people that have struggle with like, I guess, in regards to intimacy is having it grow stale and boring. Like monotony can be the death in a couple's intimacy life. Mm-hmm. Um, so fine. I think it's wild when I see couples that are like 60, right. And it's so wild. You can tell like, they're just there. They love each other. Right. You can tell, but it's, they're, they're not sexual anymore, things like that. And when I help them with like, bring this spark back into their life, it's so wild. Like they become like giddy school children to each other. It's so fascinating. And all they needed was just like a little push or something different or to bring the spark back in some capacity. That's like not what they're used to. Oh, that's Um, so sweet. Yeah. (laughs) I guess rewarding. It's rewarding work. (laughs) Yeah. So what's your biggest takeaway out of this? Like doing this is rewarding for sure. Um, my biggest takeaway from all of that, like, um, I'm glad what do you love about your job? (laughs) Sorry. I said, I'm glad I do what I do. I enjoy it. (laughs) I, I feel like it's really rewarding and it's, it's, fascinating that it only can take like one or two sessions for a couple to be like, okay, we're back to our passion again. And I'm like, you guys haven't had sex in 20 years. They're like, yeah, it's back. I'm like, that's so awesome. Like, it's just exciting that that can happen just from like, you know, maybe being more open-minded than they've been in the past or trying something new or just really paying attention to each other's bodies and emotions. 
Well, I think it's also, yeah, to those points, also schedule the time for sex. Like they must schedule time to come see you. But just in general, scheduling sex is not, it shouldn't be something that we stray away from. One of the things I talk about all the time with clients is like, especially like power exchange relationships is to make sure that you're scheduling play and look at it, reframe your thoughts. It isn't that because you need to schedule it because it's like not important. It's scheduling it and then looking at it like as anticipation, like staring at the calendar. Ooh, I got three days left before this happens. Ooh. And like kind of building it up for play wise, rather than looking at it, like I had to put it in the calendar. It's like another thing I have to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's how it's really just changed the perspective. Like we should be excited to do this. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I can't tell you the amount of people that are like, but like we're scheduling, scheduling play or scheduling sex. Isn't that like so ridiculous that we have to do that? No, our lives are tough. Life is hard sometimes and busy and we have responsibilities and to put that on the calendar and look forward to that. Like it's, it's just another thing. And like I said, it can be anticipation and excitement that can build. Yeah. Well, do you have any advice for somebody who might be on the fence about going into a dominatrix situation if they're a little nervous? Um, my advice would be to be honest with your practitioner. I would email them or try and have a phone call with them and say, I'm nervous. Like, it's that's that's very common. I call it fear citement. That's my like mm-hmm. word that I use is fear citement because like I feel like that's what it is. You're so it's like about to go on a roller coaster ride and you're terrified. You're excited, but you're terrified. And then afterward, you're like, holy shit, I need that again. All right, I'm going back on again. <laughs> yeah, that's so. so I think it's I think it's being honest about that and saying to your like the potential practitioner, you're going to, I'm very nervous. I'm new. I don't have a lot of experience. Like, is there things you can do to help ease my mind? I can't tell you the amount of phone calls I've had, like doing that to calm people down and help them feel more comfortable and confident. Cause it's scary being vulnerable like that to someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. Most people can't even do it with their spouse, let alone somebody who they don't know. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, like it is very difficult. (laughs) Sex is one of those conversations that it's just a very sensitive and guarded situation. And do you find yourself having to ask like more kind of deeper questions to get a little bit further into somebody about what they want? My negotiations tend to be probably much longer than most people because I want to make sure that they not only enjoy themselves, but it it was so unbelievable to them that they like have to do it again. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I have regulars for like 20 years because of this. I think that that's important, but you know, I I think getting down deep, like a lot of times, like, like people will write all their fantasies and everything, but then when you're in person with them and you're asking them, they're like, I don't know. I'm frozen. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I I'll ask questions like, okay, like tell me about like a porn that you watched that was super hot. Like what about this femdom porn that turns you on? So like questions that aren't necessarily their fantasies, it's stuff that they've seen and stuff that makes it a little bit easier for them to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that there's like a repetitive um like theme when you get new clients or Every like no. everyone, no, just absolutely out of wild wild card. Everybody's a wild card. <laughs> Not really. Like like I said, I I tend to get people who want some kind of hypnosis, but it it's not all the time. 
Um, I mean, how do you bring that in? How do you like, how does that happen? That's cool. Um, typically it depends. Cause if it's like hypnotherapy type stuff, like, or trauma work with hypnosis, like I don't do it in the space that I do the kink. So I have another space that's like dedicated for that. It's more quiet. It's more comfortable stuff like that. And then we could go into the session after that. Um, like the actual like BDSM kind of element in, but if it's something like somebody wants, like, I'll just give an example. If somebody wants like to be turned to a different gender, I do gender transformations all of the time, but I can do gender transformations with hypnosis where they actually believe they're of the opposite sex. So I cannot tell you how many times that has been beneficial for people who don't understand their gender. You know, this is a chance to actually feel what it feels like to be a different gender and experience that before doing any, you know, hormone treatments or anything like that, you know, for them to grasp and maybe help themselves better. Um, I've helped many of people with their uh, gender dysphoria, with their uh, gender, you know, um, learning that they want to be trans, things like that from doing hypnosis. It's really powerful. Wow. That is incredibly insightful. Yeah. So it really depends on like what we're doing and how we're doing it. Cause sometimes I do, um, sensation work or playing with pain or playing with temperature or playing with orgasms, things like that, that I can do just from hypnosis. Like I can snap my fingers and make someone orgasm, which I think is the freaking coolest thing ever. That's amazing. (laughs) But like, I, you know, depending on where it's at is where I'll do the hypnosis, like what it includes and what it's involved in and things like that. So So that would be something that comes before the play, not necessarily, or I guess sometimes. Usually yes, because then the triggers are implanted so that I can play with those triggers. So like, awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) It's it's pretty fascinating. (laughs) Well, is there any crazy story that you'd love to share with us? Crazy story. I mean, I have tons of crazy stories. What kind of story would you like? Like the hypnotize the on hypno- hypnosis. Oh, I actually love this story. This is so cool. For sure. Um, I taught a hypnosis class like four years ago at this point now. And my demo bottom, who's my submissive of almost eight years, um, loves hypnosis. It's one of her favorites and she's obsessed with it. And so Um, with her consent, we decided that this class was going to choose her hypnosis journey. So like basically I had people raise their hands about what they wanted me to do to her with hypnosis. And so I was like, all right, like we're doing on the fly. So it was like, um, how to have impossible fantasies with hypnosis. That's what my class was. And so people are, you know, saying different things, different things. And this person goes, all right, I want her to be, act like she's abducted by aliens. Can you hypnotize her to be, um, abducted by aliens. I was like, yes, yes, that's it. That's what we're doing. So (laughs) her face is like all like excited and nervous. And so I do this hypnosis and I, I obviously with her consent had it where the people in the audience were coming up and touching her. And it felt like she was being probed by aliens. And then I had it where she had the most insane orgasms just by being touched by these aliens and so she's like convulsing and coming on this table just by like them touching her head and stuff like that. It was wild. Wow. And so after, and, and what I did was I said, and now every time you see these people for the rest of the weekend, you're going to be all giddy and excited. Cause you're going to know that those were the aliens that ca- caused you to have these amazing orgasms. 
So <laughs> the audience is going, oh my God, this is so cool. So she's being probed by aliens afterwards. She's like, oh my God, she's all nervous because she had just had these hypnotic orgasms and everything in front of everybody from these aliens. <laughs> that's awesome. It's just like, where can you do that? Like, that's not something that you can just provide for someone. It's just cool and different. No, that is the most unique experience I think I've heard. That is so awesome. Alien abductions. Right? And she was like, afterwards, she was like, oh my God, that was so hot. <laughs> she was like, like, that was so hot. <laughs> I need it again. I need it again. Well, that yeah. was a great story to end this session with you. Thank you for coming on the show. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I don't think so, except, um, you know, follow me on my social media. And oh, well, I was I... going to say, yeah, where can our <laughs> followers actually come and find you? I just talked about censorship. So I have my new Instagram. That would be cool. My new Instagram's Miss McKenzie again. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, Miss McKenzie. Um, if you, it would be cool to sign up for my mailing list. Um, since in case of social media loss, it'd be cool to have my mailing list. I also never spam. I only send out discount codes and giveaways. So it's worth it to be on my mailing list. <laughs> Honestly, you're telling me stuff and I feel like I need to get a mailing list for mine because it's just I it's it's an actual threat that working in this business that we do because a lot of it is on social media and in for a blink sure. of an eye. I did not realize how important it was until I I was like, oh, crap, I wish I had a bigger list. <laughs> yes. OK, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. I learned a lot and that was a great story. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> But for our listeners listening, go follow Miss McKenzie and join her mailing list. And everyone, thank you for listening and have yourself a great day. And as always, stay kinky. Bye, everyone.